everyone. Welcome to the Self-Publishing Tips and Tricks Show, a series designed to give you insight into the world of self-publishing and marketing your books. I'm Morgan Lee, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Shannon, writing under the pen name SD Houston. And I'm Ben Pick. And we're here today with author Jessica Ingold. We're going to ask her questions about her self-publishing journey and how she markets her work. But before we jump into the interview, do you guys have any news or points of interest that you want to talk about? Yeah, so this episode is going to come out August 15th, which is it's quite a ways away from when we're actually recording this. We're doing a kind of a bunch of batch videos to get ahead. So by August 15th, I will have known how my book is doing, but right now I'm preparing to launch my book next week. And I've set up a bunch of promos and I'm trying different uh, marketing strategies to see what was actually going to happen. So I'd love to tell you guys, but at this moment, I don't know. So you won't find out until after the August episode. But uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm working on right now is I'm prepping for that that big launch next week. And as for me, ideally by August 15th, I will have my first debut novel out there. So hopefully everything lined up. We'll find out when we uh, when we go live with this. Yeah, so I'm kind of in a similar situation. By August, I hope to be kind of promoting books two and three because I'm hoping to put book two out in September and book three out in October of my trilogy. So hopefully around this time, I'll be doing some kind of marketing ideas. So yeah, that's what I got going on. All right. Now let's talk about our guest author today. Jessica Engold was born in Turin, Italy and raised in Ontario, Canada. At the age of eight, a teacher encouraged her interest in writing by introducing her to Storybook Weaver, thus sowing the seeds of a lifelong passion for words and books. In high school, she served as the senior editor of the school newspaper while working at the school library. After graduation, she attended the University of Guelph Humber, where she earned a degree in media studies and a diploma in journalism. To date, she has self-published six works of fiction and two poetry collections with plans to publish several more books in the coming months and years. When she's not writing her next book, Jessica enjoys traveling, hiking, and cooking. She reads and writes in multiple genres and hopes to one day earn a living from her book sales. She currently lives in Peterborough, Ontario. So let's welcome Jessica. Hello. You're welcome. Would you like to take a moment to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, I think you covered probably most of it <laughs> um, in terms of uh, whether I actually use my degree in a journalism-based career. I don't. I did do an internship for a while at the local newspaper. Uh, and then after that, I said, oh, I know I want to try different things, different writing-related careers. So I spent a little bit of time working for uh, Vanity Press and kind of gaining experience in the small press publishing industry. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of work in sales and marketing and stuff like that. So I'm kind of, you know, what do you call a jack of all trades, I guess. I've been trying to uh, you know, aggregate all my experience in different fields. So that's been good. I like it. Awesome. So before we jump into the questions of self-publishing and marketing, could you tell us what made you want to start writing? Uh, well, I think I've always had what they call a vivid imagination. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was always making up stories and scenarios in my head. And uh, when I was around eight, nine years old, because I have a hearing impairment, I was paired up with what they call a hearing resource teacher, which is basically like a guidance counselor that specializes in people who are hearing impaired. And uh, so she said, oh, you know, it seems like you really like to make up stories and characters and stuff like that. Why don't you try writing some of your own stories? So I said, okay, sure, why not? I mean, I was eight, you know, I was going to do whatever I was told. <laughs> <laughs> but I discovered that I actually really enjoyed doing that. And then when I was at home, I would start writing more and more. You know, I'd write almost like fan fiction with, um, you know, characters from TV shows that I had watched. And from there, I was like, oh, you know what? I bet I can probably come up with my own characters and my own stories. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. 
So how did you make that journey from writing and making up stories to publishing your first book? Well, I was always that kid who was going into bookstores with my parents. Now we'd be at the airport or just, you know, the mall or wherever. I'd be like, oh, let's go look at the books. And uh, so I'd always be driving them in there like, oh, one of these days I'm going to have a book on chapter shelf or cold or indigo. But I never really considered all the steps that were required to actually be published because at that time I was very young. I just wanted to write and see my book in print. And at one point back in 2010, one of my dad's co-workers had actually self-published a collection of letters between their grandparents when they were separated by the war. And she said, you know, it probably be best to self-publish a book like this because you know going the traditional route would have taken a lot of time so she said hey you've got a couple of manuscripts why don't you try self-publishing and see if you like it because it was it's considered to be you know something that I could do but because I didn't have a big online presence it wouldn't be like a big risky endeavor for me it would just be something fun to start out with and that was 12 years ago now <laughs> and I just kind of stuck with it I said you know what this is actually something I really enjoy doing it's something that I want to progressively improve upon so I just kept writing to self-publish more so versus uh, traditionally publishing one thing that sort of threw me off a little bit about publishing traditionally was just all the different steps that went into it and I felt that when I was a little bit younger and admittedly a little bit more impatient <laughs> I just wanted to see my book in print and at that time I thought well you know self-publishing seems to be gaining some popularity seems like a really good route or path for someone like me who has a lot of different ideas you know has a lot of different story ideas that may not be you know as easy to categorize as some of the stuff that you see on show nowadays so for me it was that I wanted to experiment a little bit more and kind of see what I could come up with uh, in terms of marketing strategies and my own personal brand because I did know enough that if I published traditionally that was it that would sort of set the course for my publishing career and then you know I couldn't really steer in some other direction if I wanted to so it's more just about that I wanted to have a little bit more control and I wanted to have that creative freedom to change course as necessary. Did anyone or anything specific inspire you to self-publish? Um, at the time, in 2010, when I had self-published my first book, I knew a couple of other people who had done it. And my thought process was really just, you know, if they can do it, why can't I do it? I mean, I had some very supportive parents and people who knew that I'd been writing for a long time and said, hey, you know what, give it a shot. You have nothing to lose. That was really all it was. But I, I just kind of thought, hey, that sounds fun. I want to try it too. <laughs> there wasn't any particular um, you know, goal in mind, like, oh, I'm going to be a bestseller. Although I think I said that at one point, so <laughs> that didn't work out. But you know, a girl dream. Well, I think that's uh, amazing that your parents supported you because I, I hear of so many authors who say, well, my parents, you know, try to push me into something else. And as is true, at least with my situation as well, my parents are like, what about journalism? You can make money doing journalism. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom loved writing for pleasure as well. Right. And uh, my dad wrote all my stories. So I think it was uh, you know, pretty unsurprising that they supported me because they just kind of saw me <laughs> wandering down that path from a very young age. And I'm like, okay, well, can't change it now. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it was great, you know, and I really appreciate that they that they put up with all of the frustration that went into that and the fact that they were always kind of trying to encourage me saying you know don't give up I know it's difficult but just keep working at it so so it sounds like you you kind of knew maybe it might not be easy but did you have any or at least one misconception about self-publishing before you self-published your work I think I had misconception that not that it was going to be easy but that it was going to be more straightforward I think a lot of people who decide to try self-publishing before they really actually get started they think oh it'll be fine I'll just put my manuscript up on Amazon or wherever Ingram Spark whatever it is and that'll be that but you get into it and you realize now you have to worry about copyright you have to worry about formatting you have to worry about 
all kinds of different things. And even then, sometimes, you know, if you think you've covered all your bases, you know, you'll get an email from Amazon that's sorry, we couldn't publish this because of this or that reason. So it's a constant learning experience and going back and forth saying, okay, well, that didn't work, you know, or like sometimes you get the proof and you go, wow, that formatting was, it looks way different in print than on paper. So uh, I never expected it to be easy, but I really did think that there would be fewer obstacles along the way. So it, it is what it is. It's a learning experience, but it's a good one. You've been able to get your books into bookstores, into your local bookstores, which is amazing. Can you tell us what went into that process? Yeah, of course. Well, as I said earlier in the interview, I always wanted to see my books on a chapter shelf. And one day I was there at chapters and I was just browsing, looking for more books to buy. Um, and at one point, I was with my partner and he and I were walking back to the cash. And I happened to look over and I saw the shelf for local authors. And I said, that's funny. I'm a local author. I don't see my book on that shelf. <laughs> so when we got to the cash, I decided to take a leap of faith and I said, hey, quick question. I'm a local author. How do I get my book on that shelf? And they said, oh, we have someone who handles the acquisition of local titles. Uh, their name is Kay and here's their information. So I said, okay, great. Thank you. Uh, and I reached out to Kay directly and I told them, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I write. Here's my website, my social media links and all that sort of stuff. And they said, okay, well, it seems like you have a lot of publications. So let's try to narrow it down to one or two that you really want to see on the shelf. So what I did was I ordered a copy of both The Absentees and The Spirit Catchers. And I took the books to chapters and left them with Kay. And then after that, there was a waiting period because all the books need to be read and vetted, of course, right? So they don't want to put something on the shelf that might, you know, offend someone or something that's very, uh, you know, discriminatory or whatever it is. So after, I think about two or three weeks, Kay got back to me and said, you know what, we're good to go. Sent through the consignment contract. I read it, filled it out, signed it. And then I just brought over a bunch of books and they said, okay, we'll let you know when they're on the shelf. So it's a very exciting day for sure, because I, I didn't think I'd get my books on, on the shelf this way. I thought, of course, I'd be doing a more traditional path, but uh, I, it really gave me hope because a lot of people often say if you're self-published, you're not going to get into a traditional brick and mortar bookstore. But I, I don't think that's true. I'm proof that that's not true. It's all about knowing the right people and, and taking that chance when you feel it. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it's important that indie authors realize that there's not as many limitations as we think there are. And like we can get into bookstores and we can, you know, be up there with traditional books. So I think that's really cool. And I think the uh, the perception and the attitude towards self-publishing has changed so much in the past 10 years. So now it doesn't just seem like, oh, no, that was a last resort for someone who couldn't get published. Mm -hmm. It was a choice that someone made. And so many of the independently published books that you see nowadays are so high quality. Like you can yeah. the work is there so why wouldn't they be given the same thing yeah i agree all right so last year you decided to rebrand your moving mountain series by having the covers redesigned can you tell us a little bit about how you came to the decision to redesign them and were the covers the only thing that you changed when you did that uh, the covers were, at that time, yes, the only thing that I changed. And the reason was, when I originally started writing the series at 15, uh, and at that time I didn't expect them to turn into a series, I just had an idea for one book, and then maybe a sequel. But back then, I didn't have any sort of brand. I, I didn't have a marketing strategy, so I thought, oh, I'll just I'll market them as separate standalones. So I didn't think that it would be very important to have a consistent cover design. But then uh, last year, I was actually talking to another independent author about how important it is uh, to have have a professional cover. You know that old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover? Well, that's actually not true. You can in the publishing industry. Uh, and she said, well, you know, I think it's especially important for independent authors to really take the time to create a good cover that is not only uh, professional looking, but also tell readers what the story's about. So I had a look at the covers for the three books that I already had in that series. And I said, you know what, I think I can make it better. I think I can make them more consistent and a little bit more eye-catching. So I said, okay, you know what, I'm just going to pull 
all my books for now and I'll just come up with a new cover design, something that actually conveys uh, what the story is about in terms of, you know, being uh, kind of a small town, long distance romance, that sort of thing. So it, I'm, I'm glad I did it because it did result in very positive feedback and uh, a few more uh, Kindle normalized page reads. So it, I think it was definitely worth the extra trouble. So as someone who makes her own book covers right now, but will one day hire someone to do them for me, what went into your decisions on choosing that new book cover? Like, how did you figure out what designer you want to go with? Or or did you have someone else that you personally knew that did them? Or what, what went into that decision? Uh, well, I do all my own covers. But one thing that I really made sure to do this time around was I looked at the other covers in my genre right now, especially for books that are traditionally published. And I made a list of things that I liked and things that I didn't like. And for the things that I liked, I said, okay, so this is going to be my working checklist. You know, if I want, if there's going to be a person on the cover, I don't want to see face, but I don't like, personally, I don't like seeing that on my book. Um, you know, I wanted the font to be very kind of simple and readable and that sort of thing. So I had a set list of criteria that I said I was going to apply to all of the books. And if I do hire someone in the future, I want to be able to work with them personally to make sure that our visions kind of line up. So that for me was part of the process was kind of making sure that if I was going to give my book a professional look, that I actually consulted with product out there that's already on the market, it's already selling, and it's already professional looking. I think especially for self-published authors, uh, and I'm not generalizing here, but a lot of us don't have professional design experience, uh, which is why people say don't try to design your own covers unless you really know what you're doing because it's harder than it looks, right? Especially if that book is going to be printed because it's going to look very different in print versus on your computer. Do you think you'll change any of the other covers for different novels? Um, I thought about changing the cover for the Spirit Catchers. At the time, I was like, oh, this is a really great cover. <laughs> and now that I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't actually tell me anything about the story at all. And that, that particular book, I think, will have a better chance of selling if it has a more direct cover. If, if it has a cover that actually reveals a little bit of something that goes on in the story, not just you know, a black cover with a blue circle on it, uh, even though those two colors are very significant in the plot. But of course, people don't know that. So uh, I think I need to help, help the book along a little bit with a slightly more well thought out design. So last year, you not only published new books, but you also rebranded several of the books in your backlist. Can you tell us how you organize your publishing goals? So my publishing goals and the publishing schedule that I use is really based on what's going on in my life at that particular time, because it does take so much time. So for instance, when we were in lockdown, I had so much time. <laughs> so I said, now is a good time to actually, you know, knock out those word count goals and, and finish drafting and stuff. But day to day, you know, I do have a job that's not writing related, so I can't always dedicate the amount of time I would like to my publishing goals. So uh, it really depends on, you know, how many books I want to release in a year versus how many I can actually realistically release. So typically I tend to take my bigger projects and break them down into smaller individual like uh, tasks or chunks and just work on those over the course of a year or two. And then the smaller stuff, I just kind of work it in wherever I have time. Like if I want to overhaul my website, it's like, oh, that's a weekend project. Or, you know, if I want to dig up an old idea and, and mine it for inspiration, it's like, oh, that's something I can do afterwards. So it really comes down to availability and whatever else is going on. Yes, I really wondered about that because you're pretty prolific in everything that you accomplished last year. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting how much you got done from rebranding to writing books and getting them published. And Yeah, um, I was really surprised too. <laughs> so from your point of view, what has been your greatest publishing success? 
I think having people who are not related to me in any way telling me that they enjoyed my book, uh, that to me is, yeah, it's one thing for your family to say, you know, it kind of have to say, yeah, it was great, even if they don't feel that way. But for someone you don't know from Adam to say, hey, I downloaded or I bought your book and FYI, I loved it and I can't wait to read more. Like, it's so validating because writing can be such a lonely journey and it can have so many frustrations and speed bumps along the way. And it's just so incredible to meet someone halfway there where, where you just you've sold them a story and they become immersed in that world that was previously only ever inside your head and now it's like it's something that you have in common with that person so i i think definitely having that kind of feedback from complete strangers out there in the world has probably been the pinnacle of my writing career so far on the other side what is your least favorite part of your indie writing to publishing journey Oh, hard to say. I I think it kind of changes from day to day, month to month. Sometimes it's the marketing that's really frustrating when I feel like uh, the way I've been doing things isn't working anymore and I need to find a new strategy to having what I think is a great idea and then not knowing how to execute it. That's just so frustrating, especially if I, if I feel like the potential for the story is there, but personally, my skills are not ready for it. That's very frustrating because I really want to put out a product that people enjoy and that people connect with. Um, and, and because it's important because every single book has to reflect you in some way right so I don't want to put out something that I feel is not ready to be in the world because once it's out there it's out there and I wish I'd known that sooner in some cases are you comfortable discussing any publishing missteps or things you wish you would have done differently I started self-publishing when I was really young and I didn't have that much life experience. And I think I was um, maybe a little bit premature in how I presented myself. You know, like maybe I published things a little bit before I should have. I didn't really understand marketing. I wasn't that great at processing criticism. So sometimes I would, you know, not grow as much as I should have. Or, you know, maybe I did things that in hindsight, I realized might have harmed my reputation or my confidence in some way. Uh, so in terms of, you know, greatest misstep I think maybe just I don't know if it's even a misstep I think it's just an unfortunate reality was just being too young in some cases to, to properly do things in ways that you know I, I felt like it should have been done you know, I, what I would say is, you know, I, I listened to Joanna Penn's podcast and she talks about how, you know, when she went to self-publishing, she didn't really know everything she was doing, but now it was like 11 years later and she went back and, you know, revamped her first series. And so I think that that's always something to keep in mind. It's like, you know, we grow as writers, we're going, we're going to become more experienced that we do have that because we're self-published. We could go back and revamp something later. And that's <laughs> so. what I love about it. You know, if, if you're traditionally published, you got to clear it with the publishing house. And sometimes they say, you know, sorry, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, if you try to be like a hybrid author, you know, maybe you have one book out on sub traditionally. And sometimes they won't even let you market your self-published book because they think you're you no know, in competition with them. So oh, yeah. I think you know, for all the challenges that come along with self-publishing, I think the freedom outweighs all of that stress. And just being able to say, you know, I, like, I love the story. I think I can make it better. It's been 10 years. I've grown as a person, as an author. You know what? Let's just do it. Like, I've done that so many times. One of the projects I'm working on now, I self-published in 2011. And then I took a down a few years later but then I was reading it again I said you know what this has good bones I think I can make it better and here we are so 11 years later just like Joanna Penn exactly <laughs> <laughs> so well with that said would you ever consider traditionally publishing why or why not I did 
at one point want to traditionally publish the absentees. I'm not sure why. And I even had a friend who is a writer as well. And he said, why this particular book? And I said, oh, it sounds funny. It's like, but why this particular book is so different from your other book? And I realized at that time, I couldn't answer that question. And that's when I realized that maybe I shouldn't be traditionally publishing since I don't have a very firm goal in mind of why I'm doing it. But at that time, I thought, you know, this is kind of cool. I fast drafted that book. It was just so much fun to write. And it was so different from anything I'd written before. So I thought, oh, I bet, you know, this will have a really good shot at being picked up by a traditional publisher because I have an elevator pick and I have, you know, a really solid synopsis and stuff like that. But then I discovered after about a year of querying that there wasn't really a huge market for that. And I did have a couple of agents say to me, oh, this is a really original story idea. I just don't know how we're going to categorize it. Because it was one of those books that just kind of spills over into all different genres. And at that time, I said, you know what, I think I'm just going to have to do what I've always done and self-publish it. And later on, you know, if it turns out that, you know, I come up with something better, then I'll, I'll try again with traditional publishing. Uh, but for now, I just had so many projects I wanted to work on. And I knew that if I published traditionally, it would kind of slow down all of those other projects. So I said, okay, well, let's just get this one out the door. And then in the future, we can come back and reconsider the possibility of traditional publishing. Oh, that's fantastic. What okay. advice do you have for self-published authors from the moment they push the publish button? Ooh, let's see, I think you should probably just be open to criticism. Uh, you know, it's out there now. It's not something that is safe on your computer. No one else is going to see. Like, you've published a book and you've invited other people into that world. And that was one thing I was not prepared for when I was younger. So <laughs> definitely be open to criticism. And if multiple people are saying the same thing, like, you know, this doesn't make sense or it's hard to read, listen, you, you know, like, get to know your readers. Show them that you're open to learning from your mistakes if you are making mistakes. Uh, be willing to go back and do the work if required uh, because now it's not just a passion project now it's, it's a product and you're a business and that's how I try to think of my writing as this is a business that I'm running and you know I'm, I'm the CEO of this little tiny business so I need to be professional no matter what I'm doing if you could only pass on one thing to aspiring self-published writers what's your best publishing tip or trick never stop learning you're going to learn so much <laughs> and it's going to seem overwhelming at first because it is and there's a lot to know and there's a lot to learn and there are a lot of mistakes to make. But as long as you're willing to learn from those mistakes and improve your craft and improve your marketing and improve your personal image as an author, you should be able to. That's a great tip to pass on because I'm all about learning. I'm always trying to learn new things all the time. And especially I think in the self-publishing world, things are constantly changing. Even the publishing platforms are changing all the time and marketing changes. And so with that idea, we're going to transition now from your publishing life to your marketing. What marketing do you do for your books? Uh, I try to try to be active on social media or as active as I can be, given that I don't have all the time in the world to focus on social media and marketing. Um, I also have a website and I use the website as a way to sort of consolidate all of my various publications and author information spread across the internet. Because as I said, and, and I'm going to keep saying it <laughs> inevitably, when I was younger, I didn't really know which direction to go in. So I just sort of shotgun and, and sent the information everywhere. So a few years ago, I said, okay, I need to revamp my website and make it easy for people to find what they need when they come here. I also find word of mouth has been surprisingly successful. Granted, I have a pretty excellent street team of people who are always championing my book saying, hey, you know, you should read Jess's book. So that's still one of my most successful marketing strategies is just simply talking about it with people. Because uh, people are not necessarily always on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. So if you're relying exclusively on social media, sometimes you might miss someone who could potentially buy your book because they're just simply not there. Now meeting them at the right time and place. 
What was the best money you ever spent marketing your books? Um, I think probably when I upgraded to premium Canva or Canva premium, uh, because I do so much of my own marketing material. And by upgrading to the premium account, I had access to all their high quality images and fonts and everything like that. And it wasn't a huge investment. It was only $16.99 a month. But because it's becoming so mainstream and so many professional designers are using it, I thought, well, I might as well use the best that I can find as well. So it's, just, it's not, you know, a huge cost that I need to recuperate each month. It's just a little investment that gives me access to more images, more um, you know, audio files, that kind of thing. So I can kind of come as close to that vision as possible in my mind instead of just settling for, you know, oh, I'll just make a cover on Word, which never works. Don't do that. <laughs> So yeah, definitely upgrading and you know paying a fee for the higher quality, higher resolution files if possible. Just little things along the way. Is there any marketing that you've tried that you would never want to do again? I'm not sure if there's any one particular thing that I'd say I'd never do again. If there are things that I've tried in the past that haven't really worked, I might try them again in a different way. Uh, but right now, I'm kind of keeping my my mind open to every possibility. But right now, I, I'm hearing that TikTok is really great, and I haven't tried it yet, but uh, we'll see. At, at this point, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm going to end up be, <laughs> being forced to set one up just for marketing purposes. But uh, I can't say that there's one thing in particular that I absolutely would not do again. I, I haven't had that enough experience with anyone yet. Okay. Yeah. They, they say TikTok is a place to be for authors right now. And that's all across sports. Not even, it's not even like one genre, like many genres are definitely getting some sales from TikTok. Since changing some of your book covers, have you seen an improvement in your sales or any other benefits since rebranding them? I've seen slight uptick in Kindle page reads and, you know, the occasional sale here and there, but I don't think it's so much because of the covers. I think it just has to do with talking about them at the right time to the right people. Because I mean, the cover is very important for sure, but I think also knowing your audience and where to find them is probably a little bit more important. I would like to say, yes, you know, definitively changing the covers has resulted in more sales, but so far I'm not seeing, uh, you know, incontrovertible proof of that yet, but who knows? Maybe if I change some other cover on some other book, I'll be able to say yes, that actually works. <laughs> you recently moved to a new website. What went into that decision and what do you hope to gain in terms of your author platform? Uh, I really believe in constantly evolving and always being willing to rebrand yourself online. Uh, so originally I had a WordPress blog, I think it was, or a live journal, something like that, way back when. And I felt that it didn't really give me the freedom and the flexibility uh, and the functionality that I needed to actually sell my Myself certain ways. So when I moved over the web to my new website, I said, okay, this is great. You know, it's very straightforward. I've seen about a million ads on TV, so it can't be that bad. And so I tried it out. And uh, yeah, I tried a few different templates to try to get a feeling for what sort of image I wanted to convey. You know, do I want to be, you know, an author who's always kind of putting all the information out there? Do I want to be you know, a more minimalist, streamlined author, that kind of thing? So uh, it's just really been an ongoing experiment in terms of, you know, what the best brand for my particular genre and my particular stories. Do you think that social media is valuable for an author? Why or why not? I think it depends how you use it. For a lot of people, I know they're disappointed in certain social media platforms like Twitter and Instagram because they say that it doesn't correlate to more sales. And I think it's not really about selling books out there. I think you're kind of preaching to the choir. It's just a bunch of authors selling to each other. <laughs> 
Um, but if it, if you're there for, you know, relationship building, you know, community engagement, that kind of thing, visibility, and just letting people get to know you, I think it is very valuable. Uh, that being said, I even said a few nights ago, I feel like certain platforms are not maybe as, as suitable as they used to be. So I think it's very important to be willing to move somewhere else and not get hung up on one particular place. Like as you said, you know, TikTok is becoming very popular. If the need, you know, comes up that you need to move over into something else, I think every author should be willing to evolve and be prepared to kind of reimagine what the brand. So short answer, yes. Long answer, uh, depends on how you use it. I love that. I love how you have, that's kind of like your motto is, you know, be ever changing, ever evolving with the business. So right now, then what social media works best for you and why do you think it does? Um, I'm actually finding Instagram is really, really good just because it's, it's so uh, visually rich compared to Twitter. Twitter is more of a conversation that a constant text message, you know, a group chat. Those things are so chaotic, right? But I just find that Instagram is really good, especially if you have a new cover or, you know, if you have a new office layout or something like that. I feel like it really gives you that ability to invite people into the more visual aspect of writing. Writing is just, it's so word-based, you know. I think sometimes it can be hard to market ourselves because how do you take something that's just a pile of letters really and turn it into something that people can see so easily so in terms of community engagement and traffic flow and stuff like that i find instagram right now is probably the best way to go You've mentioned how you want to constantly learn and constantly evolve, and there are an infinite number of resources and tips out there. How do you funnel it down to be useful to you? I just try everything and stick with what works. I, I think it's hard to say before you tried something, this is going to work, that's not going to work. Like I, I haven't tried TikTok, so I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm willing to keep an open mind. Yeah, And a lot of people out there will say, oh, there are writing rules I follow. Don't use adverbs, avoid prologue, stuff like that. And I think that those rules do serve a purpose, but you can't allow yourself to be kind of caged in and, and feel like, oh, if I do this, if I break this rule, I'm not a good writer. Because I think writing is so subjective. And I think what works for one person may not necessarily work for somebody else. If you could only pass on one thing to aspiring self-published authors, what's your best marketing tip or trick? I'd say figure out what kind of author you want to be before you actually publish anything. And I mean, obviously you can still evolve even after you've published something. But I think if you have a very clear idea in your mind that, you know, you want to write romance or you want to write horror or whatever it is, that you try to be consistent and you try to kind of design everything in service to that image so that you're not like me and you're bouncing all over the place trying to figure out how to market several different genres in one book. And if you are a multi-genre author, try to find some common thread that runs through all your stories. Like, you know, for me, I write about small towns a lot. So small towns, supernatural. Well, thank you. We're going to go ahead and transition now from marketing to your writing life and your works. How much time do you actually spend working as an author versus other writing related stuff like editing, finding readers or reviewers, marketing your books, etc.? Uh, I'd say it's probably about a 50 second split. Um, I do spend quite a bit of time on the weekend actually writing because that's the most time consuming activity that I do. But during the week when, you know, my time is a little bit more broken up, that's when I use it to update my website or, you know, make uh, some sort of promotional thing for Instagram or whatever it is. So I'm always kind of working on something, but I wouldn't say that it's like, you know, I, there are no clear boundaries between like, this is my writing time, this is my editing time. It all just kind of, you know, amalgamates into, yeah, this is my writing life and it just kind of triples into everything else that I do. I'd say I probably spend more time actually writing because once I have the product then it just goes very quickly. Like, oh, here's the book. Now let's work on the marketing strategy. But if you don't have the book, you don't have the product, what are you gonna market sell? So you really need to have something to actually sell to people before you hang your sign out the window, you know? What does your typical writing life look like? Do you have a set plan of work counts per week, work counts per month, work counts per day? How do you go well, about doing it? 
it, it really depends. Every single book is a little bit different. So if I'm editing, I usually go in terms of pages, like I want to edit 20 pages or you know, I want to edit to the end of this chapter. Whereas um, with something like a first draft, I usually have like far off deadline, like in a year from now, I want this draft to be done. And then from there, I just break it down, like, you know, by, by August, I should be here, by September, I should be here. And it just kind of keeps me on track. Uh, so it, it, there's not one particular strategy or approach that I use. It really just depends on what kind of story I'm writing. Some some stories come to me so quickly and they're all flushed out already. And I think, oh, this is going to take me a year and that takes me six months. So it's really hard to say, you know, going into it, how much time it's actually going to require versus how much time I actually spend. So when you get a new story idea, what comes first for you? The characters, the setting, or the plot? Definitely the plot. Um, I, a lot of my plots start out as uh, what if questions. Like, what if death was not permanent? What if instead of just feeling invisible, you actually became invisible? What if a long distance relationship actually does work out? That sort of thing. And then from there, once I kind of have like the elevator pitch is what I call it, that's the answer to the what if question. Uh, and then from there, the characters just sort of here. It sounds a little, uh, <laughs> little silly when I say that, but usually the main character will start to form in my mind. And I think, okay, what kind of person could answer that particular question? And uh, then after that, normally when I start writing, the setting's the last thing that comes because I don't really know what it's going to look like until I get the character. And it's like, okay, that's a small town person or if that person likes the city, you know, that character likes living on a boat or whatever it is. So first plot, then character, and then setting at the end so I can kind of tweak and tune and figure out the little details and the laws and structure of my fictional universe as I go on so I don't end up kind of limiting myself too early on. I love those what-if questions. that They're great for coming up with story ideas. Well, for sure. Especially if you want to do something that's a little bit off the beaten path. You know, I find if you're looking for something that's like, you know, a very original idea or something that challenges you, just taking a situation that's so common and turning it on its head can be really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I, do. I love, like taking like two songs and trying to say, well, what if I take this element from this song and take this element from this song and what kind of story would that make? So I, I oh, love those yeah. what if exercises for sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you write in a lot of genres, but you seem to carry similar themes and have mature subject matter dealing with the darker side of humanity. What draws you to write about these topics? Uh, as much as I think that fiction should be an escape from reality, I think as writers, we do have that duty to document the human experience. And unfortunately, as we've seen lately in the news, humanity does have that darker side. And I think by not writing about it, we are doing a disservice to people who are directly affected by certain issues in society. Uh, and, and I also consider my writing to be like an unspoken conversation between myself and my readers. So I feel like when someone picks up my book, I don't want them to think that I'm glorifying things like, you know, teen pregnancy or war or death or whatever it is, but I'm giving them hope. I'm saying, yes, you know what, there's darkness in this world. There are people out there who are not good people, people who want to hurt other people but there are good people out there who want to help other people and there are people who are able to overcome situations that seem insurmountable so i really think that it's important to have balance in every story though as i said you know i, I know my books are not necessarily light summer reads <laughs> uh but i i feel like it's really important for the writer and the reader to be able to talk about things especially things that are very hard to talk about and especially in a society that is very divided where people don't necessarily want to talk about things it's very difficult to talk about some of these things but we need to have this conversation. And writing seems like a very safe way to do it. As we are winding down, we're going to give you some of the more difficult questions. So what has been your favorite book to write so far and why? 
Oh gosh, um, this is a really hard call between the absentees and the spirit catchers. And the reason for that is those two books were, first of all, written in first person present tense. And I felt like I was so immersed in both stories. And I just, I didn't even think about myself as a narrator. I was just like, you know what, I'm going to become this character and whatever they want to say, whatever they want to do, I'm just going to document it. And uh, I felt like there was a degree of freedom in those stories that I didn't have in some of my other works at that point. Plus, I really like creating an entire fictional world where it's like, oh, I came up with the law, that came up with the social media websites and entire cities and stuff like that. And they were more based in fantasy, right? Like fantasy spilling over into reality. So I had some constraints, but at the same time, I had some freedom and flexibility there. But yeah, it's really, it's a hard choice between the two of them. I think I might like the absentees just a little tiny bit more. And then on the other side to that, what has been your least favorite book to write and why? I wouldn't say it's been my least favorite, but maybe the most challenging book recently has been the fourth book in my series. And that's only because I never planned on writing a fourth book. <laughs> the previous three, you know, I've been working on them for years and I knew so well what the stories were going to be like. And then as I was wrapping up the end of book three, I thought, okay, I have way too many loose ends. I can't tie this up in an epilogue. I need a fourth book. Um, and that gave me only a few months to really think about what was going to happen. So like I said, it's definitely not my least favorite book because I really enjoy it and I'm having fun with it but it's been a challenge because I, I wasn't expecting to to write this book at all so now like everything is a big surprise to me like, oh that could be an okay idea and then I actually try to put it into motion it's like yeah that's not gonna work so it's been a little bit difficult too because it, it technically falls under the umbrella of adult fiction where the previous three were young adult fiction so now I have no idea marketing wise how I'm going to transition <laughs> into the fourth book but uh, not my least favorite but definitely my most challenging right now. I would say one thing to look at is the Harry Potter series because it started out middle grade and transitioned into young adult. So I would oh, just yeah. look at wh what they did for marketing and see if you can replicate some of that in some way, even though it's a slightly different uh, oh, genre or marketing. But I can understand that. I think writing the third book in my trilogy, so it ended at three books, I think writing that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I think writing a series by itself gets harder as you go along because you make up rules for your world and it kind of boxes you in and what you can do with your plot and what your characters oh, sure. can carry yeah. out, you know, especially if you're in fantasy or any made up world. So is that that fourth book? Is that what you're? you're working on next is, is that what you plan to publish next the next thing i plan to publish is a revamped teen romance in 2011 you know it's just been a little bit easier to work with because i've already written story i just need to kind of update it so it sounds like how i write right now and admittedly when i published the book i was only 20 and uh, i felt like an adult at the time and then you know 10 years passed and i realized i'm you know i was very young i didn't have a lot of experience in writing or self-publishing or just you know, living in general. So it's been really interesting to see that story evolve so much and yet somehow stay the same at the same time. So it's almost like the book had a life of its own that I couldn't quite uh, corrupt or spoil. It just, it was its own living thing. But the fourth book of my series, I'm hoping to be done the first draft in December uh, on New Year's Eve. I, I always typically do December 31st, so I give myself a whole year to work on it. And I'd like to publish sometime next year, but that will really depend on a lot of things like whether I can revise it in time, uh, you know, just other stuff like that. If I come up with something else that I want to work on that will also set that timeline back a little bit. But yeah, those two are, are right now my main focuses. So that first one, uh, the revamping of your first book, is that you're going to try to get that out this year? I would like to get it out for the summer, even though it's not, you know, like a light summer read. <laughs> I always feel a little bit weird releasing a, a book in the summertime when it takes place in the winter, but, you know, it is what it is. Again, it does deal with the dark side of humanity in terms of, you know, uh, two people being in a relationship when one of them has a disability, like epilepsy. 
you know, and, and how disabilities or any sort of personal challenges tend to weigh on a relationship, especially a young relationship where neither one of them has much experience on how to help the other kids. Sometimes, sometimes this summer, I haven't picked a date yet because I, I don't want to pick a date and then have to bump it back because it's not ready. Well, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. You have answered all of our questions. So before we wrap up, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you online and where they can purchase your books? Uh, so they can find me on Twitter at uh, Jesse Ingle. And I also use a very similar hashtag on Facebook, I believe, even though I'm not really active on Facebook, so don't look for me there. <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram at author underscore Jessica underscore Ingle. And I also have a website where you can just click on all the little icons for the social media and I don't have to remember what my handle is. So I will leave the link with these lovely hosts here and that'll hopefully make it easier for anyone looking for my book. Right. Yes. Thank you so much again um, for giving us all of your insight and experience. This was a great interview. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. So in a big thank you to our listeners and viewers, August 15th, we will have JD Estrada, a Puerto Rican indie author of over a dozen books in several genres, including urban fantasy, middle grade fantasy, poetry, nonfiction, and even a bilingual collection. So we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.